0: Good afternoon, shout out to the Mayelis coming up here, you know, I think we found our permanent announcement person, we got to figure out how to keep him around so he could give the appropriate announcements, Uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness, Lord. We ask you that you would guide us, that you would lead us. Lord, we are thankful that we get to study your scriptures. We're thankful that we get to be in fellowship with you and with one another. Lord, I'm asking that you would use our time as we study out Galatians, as we wrestle with the scriptures, that you would guide us as a people. That you would help us see ultimately where you are calling us and where we fit in your story. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. You have shown us your goodness by giving us your son, by giving us your spirit. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we love you. And we pray this time in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Galatians chapter one. So as many of you know, we've been studying the book of Galatians the last three weeks. We're going to be studying it for a couple of more weeks as well. Um, And this is a really important book. I think for a variety of reasons, but primarily because it helps us see what it means or what some of the challenges that Paul were dealing with. I think there's interesting parallels for where we are today in 2023. So in Galatians chapter one, beginning in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how, I intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Cephas is Peter, by the way. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I'm writing what, what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches in New the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. You know, the gospel... That Paul was talking about. He is sharing his story. He's trying to get to a point. So what, what's the context of Paul's statement? As I mentioned before in the first lesson. there is Paul is writing this more than likely. Some people believe that it was like a month or two. Before we read Acts chapter 15. Where you have the big council. So Paul is trying to get this letter. To the folks in, in Galatia. First and foremost. Then go to the big council. To discuss what they've been discussing. And so Paul says. I did not receive the gospel. From any human being. Now, that phrase for us, we're like, of course, you got it from Jesus. We know it in the scriptures. But, you know, one of the things in our present moment is people construct the gospel. People are creating forms of what they would call good news and package it in the name of Jesus. They give it to you in the name of Jesus. But what Paul was saying is I got this message from Jesus. His accusers are thinking, you see, the original 12 got it from Jesus. I don't know what happened in Damascus, but Paul threw off the doctrine and we can't trust what he's talking about. So we got to only trust the original 12. They know the truth. And now Paul and Paul's like, I got the gospel, the message of the Jewish Messiah who is king. I got that from Jesus himself. I wasn't taught it by one of the apostles. I did not receive this message secondhand. I got it from Jesus himself. One of the most important components of Christianity that we all have to remember, it is a receive faith and it's not one we create. No one has the right to create Christianity. Jesus gave us the traditions. The apostles through Jesus gave us the traditions of what we call Christianity today. You know, one of the things I I was a campus minister for over a decade. Coming on campus with my book bag, not looking like a college student, but that was awesome. (laughs) And without fail, without fail, every semester, at least three students, sometimes even more. As I'm reaching out and I'm sharing about Jesus, wanting to share the good news with them without fail. How do you know you could trust that book? There was this council in Nicaea where Emperor Constantine came and told the church what books they better believe. Your books are from the Roman emperor. You don't even know. Like there was a gospel called Thomas. There was a gospel called Judas. But they didn't put it in there because that might have been, that might have contradicted your, your, your scriptures. And then what about the Da Vinci Code? We all saw that movie. <laughs> Without fail. Without fail. I would get into these conversations at least three, th- three times a semester. And then I have to explain to them what took place at the council in Nicaea. I'm like, in 325, there was a huge debate about whether Jesus is the same essence as God the Father or Jesus is a different substance. And so in 325, they landed on that. And that's where we get this thing called the Nicene Creed that said, OK, Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. Eternal, never created. Because there was a guy named Irenaeus who was like, Jesus was created or he, he was something. He was less than an actual what we would consider um Lord, what we would consider the son of God, what we would consider the second person of the Trinity. That's how they view Jesus. And so I would share that. And then I would share the follow up. Do you think they chose the 66 books in that meeting? Have you read that? Like, uh, yeah, didn't they choose the 66 books? I'm like, no, 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 no. What they did is called they closed something called the canon. The canon is what we consider the New Testament, what we consider the Old Testament it closed it. These books that we have, the 27 in the New Testament, were the books that the church had been using almost from its inception. If you read the work of Irenaeus, if you read the work of Clement, if you read the work of Tertullian, if you read all the early church fathers, you could piece together what we call the New Testament about 95 percent. They were already recognizing these documents as the teachings of the church. There were three books that were debated in the Council of Nicaea. And the reason they were debated is primarily, primarily because they, they didn't have direct line with apostolic um, influence, if you will. And they're usually like, whoa, YouTube didn't tell me that. <laughs> YouTube always <laughs> leaves the good stuff out, right? <clears throat> you see, people think that we have a gospel that or we have a, a Bible that Constantine created that Constantine has dictated what's in the Bible that we have. Constantine did not dictate it. The church and its traditions and everything else gave us those scriptures. They started using them almost immediately. They started referring to the teachings of Paul, referring to the four Gospels almost immediately. And if you want to learn more about this and you just have great zeal, then I would encourage you, read this book from Richard Bauckham called Jesus and the Eyewitness. It is an amazing resource. It'll put you to sleep if you don't like reading those sort of books. And that's good for your heart to go to sleep. And so we receive Christianity. We don't create Christianity. Another thing that I commonly run into when I'm on the college campus, our scriptures are corrupt. How do we actually know what is supposed to be in here? You know what I mean? Like what if someone came in and just ruined it and they messed with it and, you know, they just changed all the things to make sure that, you know, men are in power. If anyone's ever read the teachings of Jesus, man, whoever messed with it to put men in power did not do a good job. (laughs) One, if that was if that was the motive, you'd be like, there's so many different passages you probably should have taken out to make sure we can have power and influence. However, there's something called manuscript evidence. There are a plethora. There's more manuscript evidence for the New Testament than any ancient document, not even close. And so what happened, in, in, what, what happened shortly after um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were released, people put together all of the different manuscripts and they recognized very early and very quickly that what we have in our New Testament is of 98% accuracy. And the 2%, that's a little off, is more like, did you spell Jesus J-E-S-U-S-S-S? Who's that? I never heard of this guy. Is he also Lord? You'd like, describe. this was tired. He had, he had no coffee. He was just writing, and he did a couple of S. Yeah, I, I, I think the larger context is, is still probably Jesus. But there was those sort of errors. So there's punctuation errors, there's spelling errors in some of the early manuscripts. But there's nothing that would deviate any important and even unimportant doctrines of the Christian faith. Amen. The Christianity we receive was not created. You know, Marx and Nietzsche, Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche. Most of us in here have not read any of their work and probably you only heard things you dislike or things you do like. Who knows? But Marx and Nietzsche in particular were big critics of the church. Karl Marx, not so much because he understood people wanted to have faith, they want to be close to God, but he like that keeps the oppressed oppressed. Nietzsche thought Christianity was just cowardly. It wasn't brave. It prevented you from accepting the reality that this, there's, after we die, there's nothing and we just all need to have courage and accept that. But they were suspicious of the Bible. They were suspicious of its teachings. They were suspicious of what the scriptures were calling people to. Here's a quote from Rousseau, who was also influenced by these men. Man is born free and everywhere is in chains, in reference to the scriptures. He saw the scriptures, the teachings of the church, the teach as chains. Mm-hmm. You know, there, we are still, as you guys know, living in Portland, this is a completely secular city. One of, the, one of the things, the conversations I'm having presently in 2023 with different people at the gym, different people on campus, is this, this book is a book that will destroy your life, that will control you, that will promote hate, that will harm people. Men created it with the express purpose to either control us or the express purpose of making us cowards. Men created it. And I have to tell them consistently, no, this was not a book that was created. It was received. It was a tradition that was received. Christianity did not sprout up in the 1800s with Karl Marx or Nietzsche. Men have used the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus to do horrible, heinous things in his name. People who have claimed to follow Jesus have abused people, have harmed people, have not shown the way of Jesus in a faithful light. And so when there is a criticism like that, I can understand. But the actual person of Jesus is who we shouldn't be criticizing. The actual teachings of Scripture, we shouldn't be criticizing. You see, what's the goal of Scripture? It's to point to Jesus. Our Bibles that we have, the 66 books that we have, the big goal is to point those those books to point to Jesus. And... It's very important, even as we're engaging with our friends, that we understand that Christianity was received. And some of the criticisms of the Crusades and the Inquisitions and all of that, that was man in deviation from the will of God. It wasn't the will of God. You can't read the New Testament with a straight face and end up on a crusade. (laughs) You know the part of love your enemy? No greater command than this. Lay down your life for people. You couldn't read that passage and end up in that situation. You couldn't read the New Testament at its core and think that abusing people and and, and scamming people would have led you there. You see, Paul's not addressing that particular problem when he says, I received the gospel. Paul is just letting the the Galatians know that this gospel that I'm preaching came from Jesus. So if you have a problem with this gospel, you have a problem with Jesus. Jesus. I'm addressing for us that this gospel that we have did come from Jesus. And if the culture has a problem with it, we have to help them see that, okay, it's Jesus we have the problem with and let them do the wrestling. Paul says this gospel was revealed to him. And what was revealed that Jesus is the king. That the coming of Jesus, despite being crucified as a criminal, he is actually king. We take that for granted in 2023. But most of us in here will never look at someone who's been crucified, someone who got the death penalty, someone who got lethal injection as a king type figure. And yet our faith is predicated that this person is the king of the Jews, who's ultimately the king of the kingdom. So we are called to participate in this story. Paul says he was so fervent. In his devotion to the God of Israel that he persecuted the church. So fervent in his devotion. Paul saw himself like Phineas. He saw himself like Elijah. Just this warrior for God that I'm going to destroy these Christians who are deviating from the orthodoxy of the Jewish faith. From what it really means to follow the God of Israel. And then a dramatic shift happened in Paul's life. He had an encounter in Damascus with a person by the name of Jesus. And Paul was reoriented as a result of that. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. You see, for Paul, that encounter changed his life. For those of us who grew up cultural Christians, sometimes it's easy to hear about the resurrection, to hear about Jesus um, confronting us and just feel like, okay, after this, are we going to order pizza? You know, it's, 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 it's that simple. Or like, man, so what's the score of the game? Like the resurrection transform and is transforming people all over the world. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might... Paul looks at this moment as the moment that God is calling him, that God in his zeal interrupted his life. He had a complete reorientation in what he did. Think of who Paul was prior to this and think of who he was after. I can imagine everyone in Paul's life was like, Something is emotionally and intellectually wrong with this guy. How did he go from breathing out murderous threats to now proclaiming that this um, Jew, by the name of Jesus, is the Messiah? He's the guy we've been looking for. Mm -hmm. That is an encounter with the living God. That's an encounter with the truth of the resurrection. And you know, the funny thing is. For most of us, when we read this scripture or when we read these teachings, we probably start to do what most of us do. We start to think merit. We start to think merit. You know why God chose Paul? He was zealous. He knew the scriptures. He was going after it. Paul got selected because of who he was as a person. Is that what the scriptures teach? You see, Paul says he was chosen before birth. Paul says... God called him, that God called him, God set him apart. Actually, I would go as far as to say God set him apart in spite of his zeal, in spite of his learning. God set him apart. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter one. Paul Paul sees him and likens himself a little bit to Jeremiah with that phrase right there. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Jeremiah is a prophet um, who preached to the Israelites before they went into exile. He had a really tough job. You know, he had to preach to them. But yet God, when he called him, let him know that his calling was even before he even knew what was going on. Jeremiah chapter one, beginning in verse four. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God revealed Jesus to Paul in spite of his zeal, not as a result of it. Paul was trying to destroy the church. Paul was persecuting the church. And God, in his infinite mercy, goodness and kindness, says, I'm going to reveal my son to you. I'm going to give you a Damascus moment to where you could see Jesus. You know, free will and sovereignty are interplay here. Some of us, you know, we might think there's zero free will. You're always going to do exactly what the script is. We can have that long spiritual conversation if you'd like to have that conversation. <laughs> We're not going to do it today. Now, at least not in just a second. But we can. Why I think that may not be 100%. But then there's the free will type, you know, like God knows nothing. We're just out here freestyling it and he's writing it out of the day. No, there's somewhere in, in, in the middle there. When Paul was blinded, he didn't have to say Jesus Lord. When Paul was blinded, he could have stayed in his blindness. But he humbled himself. And God probably knew he would humble himself. And God probably went out of his way to connect with him. You see, God's calling of Paul is inseparably co joined with his experience of Jesus. Like what he saw in Jesus was what transformed him. Not his knowledge, not his zeal. He's like, this risen Messiah is the risen Messiah. This person has transformed me. Shout out to Brian. That's my youngest son. He's, he'll, that was his way of saying amen. Uh, now, now Cole got competition. He's like, I want to do announcements too. <laughs> but he got a couple of more mango seasons to go. Um, but God's calling of Paul... Or, or Paul receiving the call had everything to do with the experience he, that he had with Jesus on that road. That, 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 that moment on the road forever changed his life, it forever transformed his life. Paul's life is an example of the divine grace of God. Thank you, Uri. And the fact that God's call is unconditioned by the social worth of Paul without regard to his superior ethnicity. You see, for Paul as a Jew, he thought, I'm the chosen people. I I should be chosen. It, It had nothing, that call had nothing to do with his being a Jew. It had nothing to do with his status as a Pharisee. It had nothing to do with his cultural pride. It had nothing to do with his sinfulness, his ignorance, or even his opposition to God. It had everything to do with God. God was the initiator there, and Paul was tasked to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He got a whole new mission. Can you imagine going back to the family dinner and telling them that? they're like he came back first day after he received his sight hanging out with his uncles and they're like hey man what's going on I heard you got blind Yeah, Paul, yeah, I got blind any you arrested any of those Jesus followers I, had, I broke bread with them what oh yeah don't call me Saul call me Paul what <laughs> actually I'm going on a boat to go on a mission trip to spread this gospel what and I think I resigned from the Pharisee hood. Whoa! Like, can you imagine? The, this, the, every, that's why Paul said people were like, the guy who formerly persecuted us is now proclaiming the faith. The gospel has that kind of power. It's tough sometimes, you know. I'm almost certain it took about, again, it took probably about a decade for people to really feel good about that guy. He showed up, he he like, someone might die, or he might preach the gospel. And after about a decade, you're like, I don't think he's killing people anymore. Let's go to First Corinthians. Paul's story is helping the Galatians understand that his calling was from God. And that's why he's speaking to them with such fervor. But I think it's important that we even understand how do we participate in this story as followers of Jesus? First Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse 26. First Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse 26. I love Paul's challenge to the Corinthian church here. Because this is a church that's completely gifted, like in terms of spiritual gifting, they had like the tongues, the prophecies and all this other stuff. And yet Paul does something that I think is really important for them to understand. And I think it's even important for us as we attempt to participate in the story of God. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. Beginning in verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. so that his life may also be revealed in your mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians here, none of you were really that, you weren't that special. Now I know, we, we live in a generation, you're one of two people, right? I have found in my life, there's one or two people that we interact with. Someone who believes that they were made in the image of God. So they think very highly of themselves. They feel good about themselves. And someone who is like, "From dust I came and from dust I will return," right? This is the person who's always down on themselves. They never think that we are called to be somewhere in a healthy median. There, both of those realities are true. Both of those realities are true. And God wants us to participate in His story. But a huge part of that participation is to understand that our boast is the Lord. Paul did all the incredible things he did, and if he stood right next to me, he would be like, not I, but the grace of God working in me. He'd be like, don't make me into anything other than a servant of Christ Jesus. I am just simply a servant of Christ Jesus. I fought hard to be faithful to the one who was faithful to me. See, Paul didn't think too highly of himself. He even said it in Philippians, he's like, man, if I had any reason to boast, I realize." I had nothing to boast. Everything that I accomplished before was rubbish compared to knowing Jesus and participating in his suffering. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we have these treasures in jars of clay. You know, you think of a guy like Nick Connor. He looks like he's anything but a jar of clay, right? <laughs> <laughs> he looks quite impressive. And yet he's a jar of clay. <laughs> He's a jar of clay. The treasure is that the Holy Spirit dwells in him. It's not it's not about the exterior. We're all jars of clay. I think one of the, the worst things we've ever done as followers of Jesus is we made too much of heroes. We made way too much of heroes. We're like, man, Billy Graham transformed the world. Oh, We need a Billy Graham here if we had one of those guys. And God's spirit is like, I dwell in all of them. I dwell in all of you. Now, we're not all called to that particular ministry and that particular work. But sometimes we just think like, man, I'm one of the people in the background. I'm nobody. We need superheroes to do the work of the Lord. And God is like, I take unschooled, ordinary people any day of the week to bring my kingdom. The calling of the twelve. None of those guys were impressive. They didn't make the cut for rabbi school. There's a reason they weren't Paul's contemporaries. Mm, Paul wasn't like, oh, I heard about these guys. They're really good at the scriptures. Mm. No. I mean, even even Peter's testimony when the Gentiles came to faith, he had no scripture. Peter had no scripture. I think he had that experience. I think he know any scriptures to why he just did what he did. I think Paul, if Paul were the one helping Cornelius come to faith, he would have said, I experienced this. And here's some scriptures that back this up. Peter was like, Father Spirit, baptized somebody. You know what you do, that." <laughs> like, I just, I had nothing else to say. I don't know. He, they had to wait six more chapters to get some scriptures from James and everyone else. Like, oh, this is how it lines up biblically, too. That was God's chosen guy. I want us to grow in our scripture knowledge. I want us to be great with the scriptures you know Paul says um do your best to be approved I want the whole church to be approved but also I recognize sometimes you don't even got to know what you're talking about to glorify God Mm -hmm. in terms of the big picture Mm -hmm. I was sitting in a bible study with an individual who said you know in Joshua where it says the sun stopped for one day Mm -hmm. at this point I had grew I learned a little bit I recognized certain things I recognized figure of speech in scripture but this this young guy was like, you think God, let me show you a miracle that science is still trying to explain. He goes to Joshua, he's like, the sun stopped. And the guy was like, wow. And he's like, scientists still don't even know how we got that day. I'm like, so the sun?" And I was just sitting there, bad, 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 bad. That's not true. He's taking a figure of speech. Obviously the stanza is in poetry. But the guy was like, I think I want to follow God. I'm like, whatever, man. We, <laughs> we could work with a misunderstanding. <laughs> we could move from that direction. He tried to help someone. There have been times I've been involved in, in, in helping people, and I didn't know what to say. You ever been in those situations where you are like, man, as soon as you're done, and someone else, like two days later, a scripture comes up, you're like, that was a good one right there. I should have used that one. <laughs> you're like, why didn't that one just come (laughs) off? And you were hoping. But then a week later, they're still around. And you're like, wow, God is still working, even with the little bit that I had. I remember sitting in the living room with my younger brother before he got baptized. I went down to go visit him. And we were sitting there. And I was tired. I couldn't think of any scriptures. And he was like, it's like maybe around 1 a.m. We were playing Xbox. And then he's like, so why should I follow God? And I said, take up your cross and deny yourself. <laughs> Kept playing Xbox. <laughs> Two days later, I think I want to study the Bible. I need to take up my cross and deny myself. <laughs> that's not, you, you know, if I was going to game plan that, that's not my game plan. That was just me being Steve, being silly. You know what I mean? I, wasn't, I didn't even take the question serious. God is like, I could work. You don't have to be anything special. You know what happens in a lot of these situations? Sometimes our past and sometimes our failures mark us in a way that is unhealthy. You know, maybe you've tried to help someone become a Christian in the past and it didn't work out. So you feel like, I guess that's not what I'm supposed to do. Anyone who's effective at helping anyone in anything recognize how often you have to do it. Right now, Brian cannot walk. Brian cannot walk. And it's not because he's paralyzed. He just doesn't have the backbone yet. But Brian's crawling, and he gets up, and he... (laughs) And you know what? He's probably going to do that for another three months. Hopefully not. But he's learning. He's learning. Some of us were in these situations where we're like, man, the last six people I tried to help become Christians didn't want it. And again, I get it. I'm not saying, you know, throw one more rock into the pond. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, just keep loving. Keep helping. Keep serving. Maybe you don't go on a rapid fire. Maybe you become a person who just focuses on one person, but keep loving. Keep staying focused. So if you're in Christ today, God is calling you to his purpose. He's calling you to participate in the same story that the apostles participated in, that every Christian since the world have participated in. But how do we do that? How do we live into this calling? You know, the most important thing is you have to deal with your sin there is nothing that will prevent you from wanting to honor God than you not dealing with your sin. And it isn't even because God can't use you because of your sinfulness. You don't want to be used because of your sinfulness. I've had seasons of my life where I was dishonest, and it ruined my whole day. God probably was like, okay, repent, love me, and go on. But I was like, oh, I'm dishonest. I don't know if anyone can ever take a word of mine serious again. When I was younger spiritually, I would look at pornography, and I wouldn't want to share my faith with anyone. I'm like, big hypocrite. Look at me, I was just looking over here at pornography and I'm going to talk about a resurrected Jesus who's going to set apart the world. I don't even believe I'm set apart. And I just, you know, Satan is known as the accuser. I was just accusing myself. In that regard, I was being my own Satan. Just accusing myself. And so sometimes we have rebellion in our heart And we can hear the voice of the enemy louder than we hear the voice of God. And so I want to encourage us. Let's deal with the sin. How do you deal with it? Get open. We're going to have a night of confession on the 28th. Confess before then. But on the 28th, let's get together and let's confess. Let's bring it before God and ask God that he would crucify it in his name. We have to deal with our rebellious hearts. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. See, Paul saw and understood his story really well. And I want us to understand that we could participate in this story as well. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse... Beginning in verse 31. We're going to slow down here. We're just going to read one part of verse 31. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. We're going to read one part they have no understanding they have no understanding when you are living a life of sin it's like something happens to your understanding just got none you ever tried to explain you think about yourself at your worst moment you're like man i did not understand anything in that moment no understanding none It's very important if we're going to be used by God in a powerful way that we first and foremost deal with our sin. King Saul had no understanding. Second, pray for God's will to be done in your life. Not God to do his do your will, but for you to do God's will. You're in an incredible job right now. Say, God, how can I be a blessing while I'm in this job? I want your will to happen here. Now, that should come with a a warning. (laughs) Sometimes God's will don't look like the way we want it to look like, and sometimes only hindsight we recognize it was the will of God, even if it didn't encourage us. But pray for the will of God to be done in our lives. Patience, patience. Paul's going to go on to say it took him about it took him several years before he started his ministry. Several years, several years. We are in a microwave, speed-obsessed generation. So you hear a sermon and you're like, I'm supposed to put it all into practice now. Rah. You know, that's why they got Beachbody, right? 60 days, you're supposed to get ripped. And then, you know, if Shanti could see some of us, he'd be like, nah, no, that's 60 days for you, 180. 180. <laughs> you need almost half the year to do this. <laughs> but we're in Shanti would only say that to me. <laughs> All of you other guys, are fantastic. But we're in such a, I was on YouTube, and they were like, learn Hebrew in in two weeks. (laughs) That that was the little thing, two weeks, you're learning. I'm like, wow. And then they were like, learn how to fix an engine in three hours. I'm like, man, people go to school for this. If I could learn in three hours, Wow. Now, maybe they're an excellent YouTube teacher and the the people who are paying people are part of the fallen economy, demons and principalities and all that stuff. But what I'm saying is sometimes we want to be who God is calling us to be and we don't recognize that 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 takes patience. You know, someone like Fred had preached, let's pray for an hour. Sometimes we need to start 10 minutes and start working toward the hour because Jesus' challenge was, could you not even stay up for an hour? Like, Lord, I couldn't. (laughs) He's like, all right, let's start moving in that direction. Let's start today. Let me start and pray for five minutes. Next week, I'm gonna go hardcore and I'm gonna go 12. Like, whoa, 12 minutes. And you just keep moving. Or, like, God, you know what? I don't want to be one of those people who think, let me be sexually pure for a whole year. Let me be sexually pure for today. And let me build on that. Let me build on that. Let me build on that. God wants to use us in our situation, but sometimes we think if it doesn't happen in two weeks or one week or one day, God doesn't have a word for us. Where he's like, just be patient. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the Bible has their patient moments. What was Abraham doing before 75? Worshiping idols? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Being out in the woods? And then he heard the promise and that didn't happen until he was 100. King David, anointed as a teenager, spent a good portion of his late teens, early adulthood, hiding from King Saul in the cave. Jesus, we got him fired up in the temple as a young boy with Luke and then vanish. And he shows back up. He gets baptized by John and he's cranking again. But there was a season of hiddenness. And if we're going to be called by God, we just have to be patient. He's working on us. And in the midst of that patience, we have to embrace long suffering. Nobody God has used, will use, will not embrace some degree of suffering. Suffering is a part of the plan. It's super discouraging. I wish I could put sugar on this. Suffering is a part of the plan. Romans 5, perseverance produces hope. But right before he says that, suffering. Suffering, it produces something in us. You might have a dream and a desire to honor God, and you might be real fervent about it, and opposition and obstacles may come, and you have to stay steadfast. Yeah. Our culture, our world, our society and even sometimes even one another, have convinced us suffering means we need to abandon the ship. Mm-hmm. Paul suffered a lot. He talks about it in all his letters. Jesus suffered. For some of us, we're like, man, suffering got to mean something is wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with reflecting on why you're suffering. If the suffering is self-inflicted, stop. We don't need any martyrs. We don't need that. But if the suffering is a part of where you're trying to go, say, God, you can help me get through this. The hardest part about suffering is getting through the hour. You could be going through some crazy stuff in this life and all you really have to do is get through one hour. One hour. I remember watching my lovely wife get ready to bring the boys in. The, the last one was, I was like, wow, this is so, you know, it's, it's one of those things you spectate. You know, obviously I can't share in that experience. <laughs> Lord knows I didn't want to either. <laughs> but I was watching. And at every moment, I was just thinking to myself, man, that's one less hour to go that's one less hour to go. I didn't say it out loud because that's not encouraging. <laughs> but in the moment, I was like, that's one less hour. That's one less hour. And then Brian was here. And I'm like, no more hours. There was a whole degree of suffering. We understand that. This is why Paul uses the birth analogy to help us understand what Christ is forming in us sometimes requires suffering. And again, if we're going to be participate in the story of God, we have to be able to be okay with a degree of suffering. What would suffering look like for some of you? Maybe that's you getting passed up on a promotion. Maybe there's some injustice happening at the workplace and you said something and you went into the doggy house with coworkers. You lost friendships. You ran a risk and you lost friendship. Maybe you've been building this incredible relationship with your neighbor. They're like your best friend and they never picked up on the little hints that you read your Bible and you walk. And today you're just like, I'm going to share with them that I actually believe in Jesus and I hope that they will want to know Jesus. And they never talk to me again. Maybe it's the kid you've been praying for, the wayward kid who's just been struggling and experiencing a lot of challenges. Thank God my slides are super simple so I can tell you exactly what I said, right? (laughs) Suffering looks differently for all of us. But suffering does not necessarily mean it's against the plan. So the last slide would have said... Is it back up? Oh, Glorifying God in the complexities of life. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Let's go, Desiree. No. Oh. No, oh, man. <laughs> the Lord humbled me. I, I shouted out. God was like, you should have just stayed quiet and let it be up there. You want to lift up, man, instead of me. I should have said, let's go, God. But I said, Desiree. It's my fault, Desiree. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 11, Verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign (coughs) armies. Women received back their dead Raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin, goatskin, destituted, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. All these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know, a lot of times when we set out to do incredible things for God, complexities happen. Complexities happen. The second half of um, this list right here. Talks about people were jeered, they were flogged, they were chained, they were in prison, they were put to death, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the shore. They went about in sheep goatskin, goat destituted, persecuted, mistreated. I think to the looking world, they probably would have looked at those guys and been like, they're failures. When we think about the ministry of Jeremiah, he sort of fell. He sort of succeeded, he did exactly what God wanted, but he wasn't like Jonah. Jonah got the whole town to repent, man, isn't that fired up? and it was like the weakest sermon in the world but it worked Jonah just cranked that thing got five words I think it was, seven words it was amazing and Jonah's sitting there like I'm on certain in the day of new creation Jonah's going to be sitting there And Jeremiah's like, I I wrote 52 chapters. 52. No one listened to me. And Jonah was like, I ran. (laughs) But I came back and said, you're going to perish. I didn't even tell them they could change. (laughs) Both have to take sermon classes, right? (laughs) But the point is we're going to go through stuff. We're going to go through stuff. You might have led a Bible talk in the past, you might have led a community group Bible talk, a community group, a campus, something, and you feel like, man, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. Or you might have had a bad interaction with someone, and you're like, that didn't work out. You might just go online today and like someone's photo, and then someone else sees you like it, and they're going to start attacking you and inboxing you. There could be a host of things that can happen, and we still got to glorify God in the complexities of life. You might be a father of two young children that's feeling like, when can I even pray? When can I pray? When can I just enjoy life? When can I just not have someone touch me as soon as I walk in the house? Like I want zero touching. And then turn around and and, and be called to serve God's people when you feel like I need to be served. Someone needs to give to me the complexities of life. You may be in a season where you're like, man, you know, I even stopped praying about getting married, man. Like, oh, I've been wanting that. I've been yearning for that. And you feel like I can't serve God because I'm so resentful and I'm so bitter because I've not been married. And we hear that. We hear that. And we pray that if your desire is still to find a loved one, that you would find one. And yet, even in the complexity of life, can we glorify God? Can we not lose sight of God and his goodness and how he's been consistently good? Maybe we're in a season right now where we just feel like, man, my number one goal is to sit in the background. I'm just, my, my internal life is a mess. I can't stand my husband. I can't stand the food options in this city. I can't stand the traffic. If you guys try to issue this traffic, you're in sin. <laughs> There's no traffic here. Your heart is just hard, man. You're, you're stoned. There's a petrol on your heart. But even if we sympathize with you, but can you glorify God in that complexity? The worst advice you can ever hear from anyone is like, okay, life is really complicated. You don't need to focus on glorifying God. It definitely might need to change, for sure. Like right now with the two young boys, if you're like, Steve, let's do an all-night prayer night. No way, Jose. As soon as it's over, you think the boys are going to be like, oh, dad's been up since all day. It's 7, 8, 6, 45, I mean, five forty-five when Stephen gets up, he's going to be like, dad, dad, dad. I'm like, but it's been all night. We're praying all night. Why you still want to play? He's going to want to play. And I'm going to look over at Jules and she's going to be KO'd, knocked out. And I'm going to have to give. So now I have to have better boundaries. I ain't going to do the all-night prayer. I might pop in. If we do like a popcorn situation, I'll be like, hang up. But a huge part of honoring God in this season is honoring him in the complexities. Complexities are obstacles to be overcome by the mercy and grace of God. Through the Holy Spirit. Do not look at complexities as something you throw your hands up in. If you have a desire from the Holy Spirit to honor him, then move in that direction. It says they were all commended for their faith. This idea of faith, many scholars believe, is um, connected to what we would consider allegiance. They all were trusting God in the worst situations. Sometimes life isn't ideal. But what Jesus requires is our faithfulness. And submission to him in the midst of these trials. We're going to pray for communion. And um, before we pray for communion, we'll take a moment to reflect and then we'll pray for communion.